Hello and welcome to Counterculture. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, a few months ago, we started the Save Our Statues campaign. You might remember, many of you have signed up to it. Uh, the issue, obviously, was very much in the news then. It certainly hasn't gone away. Uh, indeed, it's not also based just in London. It's all around the country. Um, of course, culture warriors really don't sleep. So the assault on our heritage and history has been going on since we first started this campaign. So today we're going to be looking at what has been good and bad in the months since then. So to do that, I'm joined by Richard Bingley, who is the General Secretary of Save Our Statues campaign, Robert Pohl, who runs the very successful Save Our Statues Twitter campaign, and Emma Webb from Civitas. Thanks very much for joining. Um, I wanted to start, first of all, Richard, if I may, you actually have just been speaking to a committee at the Welsh Assembly, haven't you, today? Yes, uh, the, Welsh, the Welsh Assembly have had um, two, one committee and one focus group. So the committee was filmed this morning and um, they had a range of contributors, uh, including ourselves. I think we were the only ones supportive of sort of the status quo. And, and the cultural realm as it exists and um it, you know it was quite a pleasant friendly session so I, I i kind of feel i came out of that able to discuss the issues in a, a reasonably sort of sensible way and uh, was sort of grateful for the opportunity but um it, it does appear sort of slightly different over in wales in, in that they, they were saying the national assembly has an overall sort of purview of this and, and will be quite instrumental in the decision-making. And they have carried out an audit of all of the statues that exist in public space in Wales. And um, so it seems to me a little bit different. In, in the rest of the UK, it's, it's obviously the Town and Country Planning Act and, and, and sort of the existing Statues Act, and, and that you, you go through local authorities. I, I'm not quite sure whether they're saying that, that that is not the case, whether it's a National Assembly decision or not. But it certainly means that for our members, we should be putting on pressure, communicating, writing to the National Assembly members equally as we should be talking to the council leaders and, and local council representatives in their ward. Um, the main thrust of the concern, I think, they've just carried out an audit across Wales, as I said, is, is around the Pickton Memorial in Carmarthenshire. So, so that, that seems to me to be the one that's... Um, sort of red rated in the risk, if you like, uh, and, then, and then probably sort of the, the Henry Morton um, statues up at Denby and St. Asaph. I suppose in some ways, it, you know, it's encouraging that we were asked, save our statues, to go, uh, invited to go and, and speak there. But um, Robert, what is the situation with Picton that, that Richard mentioned there? Well, Picton has the monument in Carmarthenshire, yeah. um, which is a, a large obelisk there that they're trying to, um, or, or they've consulted on the future of, to, to, to know what to do with it. Um, Picton is, is a, was the hero of Waterloo, highest ranked um, officer who died at Waterloo, um, but is controversial for some of his um, actions as a governor of um, Trinidad, I think. Um, and that's one of the most high profile cases. But um, yes, this report that the audit that Richard mentioned has just been um, released and it came out with uh, 209 yes. um, instances of people who were commemorated 
um, to do with slavery. It was the headline, although really if you looked just a cursory glance at the names and, and the categories they put these people into, it wasn't really much directly to do with slavery at all. Um, there were, I mean, maybe a quarter of those, I think, had any kind of connection, a very small number actually, um, with slavery directly. Others maybe benefited from plantation ownership. Um, but actually a large number of these instances were people who they say were maybe not abolitionists um, in Parliament. Um, people like Nelson, who we've discussed before, have been um, the, the anti-abolitionist letter has now been shown to be a, a contemporary forgery. So, um, and there's also other names on there. There's Wellington, Gladstone. Isn't Churchill on there too? Churchill made an appearance, didn't he? Churchill's on there. Um, Gandhi is on there. This this was really because um, they had a category that included anybody who anybody has ever complained about. So <laughs> without even in investigating, it's just these people require investigation. But that that nuance is lost in mm. the headlines about it being about slavery and just the fact their names in the reports obviously a, a slur on their character. Um, people are judging them already, never mind the further investigation. Yeah. Mm. These sort of lists, Emma, are being kind of drawn up everywhere, aren't they? Yeah, and it's interesting, and Richard just sort of alluded to it there, is they've got this um, almost a guilt assessment with the traffic light system, with Picton is red, the worst offender of them all, and uh, I think Francis Drake is on amber. Um, and so they have been sort of ranked according to their guilt, which is interesting because before the Black Lives Matter situation occurred, nobody really knew, I think, who Picton was unless they were a sort of mm, history boffin. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the sort of main characteristic that of these lists and of this ranking um, it came out uh, recently with the um, Melville Monument of Henry Dundas in Edinburgh, uh, that a lot of these, the, the plaques and, and the inclusion of these people within the reports uh, are based on complete historical ignorance. I think it was um, the uh, biographer of uh, Churchill, um, you know, was d described, you know, as completely, completely ignorant um, mm. and just, you know, based on absolutely nothing. And yeah. so there's this sort of horrible toxic combination as Rob's saying of you know you have a very very small minority of people who are offended in a particular clique in the in in instance of um, the Dundas monument yeah. uh, a small clique of people who are offended by this and, and pushing really hard and have managed to sort of take control of of the discussion around it combined with you know, basing accusations on a forge, forgery in, in, with respect to Nelson um, and just generally on complete historical ignorance. There was also another list that came out. This is more, uh, not actually statues, but it emanated from one of our, institu one of our institutions, which uh, even dragged the poet Ted Hughes into it. What, what, who did that list? So that, that was um, a list put together by the British Library. The British Library. And oh. um, so Ted Hughes, he, he was, and this, this is actually part of a general trend that there seems to be of dragging people through the mud because of 
the, the most increasingly abstract relation that they have maybe the you know in this instance a relative from 300 years before Ted Hughes was actually born somebody from the 1500s and Ted Hughes was born in the 1930s um, and just because this this ancestor of his had been involved in the London Virginia Company which had settled North America um, he was then put on this list as being in some way linked to slavery or colonialism and other people who were on the list include George Orwell because his great-grandfather his great grandfather I think owned a plantation in Jamaica even though Orwell was famously an anti-imperialist and all of that money was gone by the time Orwell was born um, other people who have been listed by say like the National Trust people like Coleridge um, uh, poets like Kipling because of imperial themes in their work and it just gets increasingly abstract even um, I think it was uh, was it Oscar Wilde or Byron um, both, both of them, them ways, but yeah. one of them had a uh, it was they were added to the list because they had a great it was either a great grandfather or a great great grandfather that had benefited in some way from um, from slavery and an uncle by marriage who had been somehow benefited from plantation owning something to that effect so just increasingly abstract you know you could have a relative that <laughs> from a thousand years ago I can imagine and, and you'd get dragged through the mud for it. I mean, basically, isn't it right to say, Richard, uh, all, all, of, all, of you, all of you, isn't it right to say really that slavery is just a conduit, isn't it? Sla slavery is just a way in to the outright attacking of pretty much all of our culture. You're talking about Ted Hughes and Oscar Wilde. Well, I mean, what, what, what came out of the session this morning with the Wales Parliament was that the overriding concern they had was around links to slavery uh, and you know look the reality is anything towards the west of the country whether it's wales devon manchester liverpool is going to have a lot of links if you want to use that word to uh, the worst aspects of transatlantic and, and international trade in the 1700s and 1800s we, we simply can't go back and repeal that or argue the points on that this, this has become a war of attrition with people wanting to remove our statues and cultural heritage. And so we have to kind of go about it in a legal way. Uh, and there's a very interesting case that I, I came across um, where it was Basildon Council versus James, uh, 2015. And, and that the council had been attempting to change road name on a housing estate. And it went ahead and did these. It imposed the road change names. And the local residents took the council to the magistrate's court. It went up into the high court. And the high court decided in the residents' favor because it said the consultation was flawed and it did not take into account the emotions and upset of local residents. And that it did not adequately provide certain options, credible options, Kind of predetermined the case before it took the action. So, so that gives us a lot of hope, that type of case, that if consultations are not conducted and they are not rolled out fairly and they're not given proper time scales for working people and for local residents, local businesses, then we should and can take this forward to magistrates' courts and the High Court and it actually doesn't cost a lot of money, Peter. It's, it's very straightforward to do. I suppose people, a lot of people kind of get a bit 
put off and intimidated when you start talking about courts and things. But I mean, that is, you're quite right, that is the sort of the way, isn't it? I mean, uh, what, what we've also found out this week on the statues front um, is that, which I think is something you wrote about on Twitter, actually, uh, Robert, was that in London, Sadiq Khan's new his commission is costing the first phase a quarter of a million pounds. This was revealed in the budgets of City Hall. And, you know, this is the first phase. And therefore, people are paying, we are paying to see the possible removal of our heritage, aren't we? We are, yes. And um, I think up and down the country, you, you yeah. and you hear about the councils generally say people are not being paid directly, perhaps, or people who are coming onto these committees. But that doesn't mean there's not a cost, as this clearly shows in London. Uh, there's a lot of consultants being brought in and yes. researchers as well and workshops and organisation. Um, there's also opportunity cost of what these people could be doing with their time and resources otherwise. Mm. Um, again, councillors have real problems to solve up and down the country. Um, but yeah, we are, we are ultimately footing the bill. Do you think, I mean, we're talking about the cultural, as we said before, statues are emblematic of it. They're the very <coughs> particular part, aren't they? But over the past, say, month, what has struck you, Sina, Emma, Robert, what has struck you as being a bit of a low or a new blow that's been, you know, struck mm -hmm. in the cultural war? I think the, the th what I find most disturbing is that over the last month or so, it seems to become increasingly clear that the, the source of this, in addition to all of the sort of fire and uproar around the Black Lives Matter, and, and now that that has trailed away, what we're sort of seeing as it's sort of the curtain has been pulled back mm -hmm. is that there is a huge gulf in the way that people view art, public art, and, and culture in general. I mean, we've been talking about poets and literature, and as you say, the statues are em emblematic of that. And it seems that, you know, this this gulf has appeared between, you know, our way of thinking about statues and what statues are for and the kind of historical um, element. And then what is sort of embodied in, you know, the Mary Walsoncraft um, statue with this, this idea that, you know, public art, there was an article that was written about this, and I think you tweeted about it, Rob, as well, that this um, idea that the that statues need to sort of be forward-looking and inoffensive yes. and universal and not particular because future gener it has to be something that you know embodies everyone and all future generations and is completely inclusive. And then you end up with these horrible blob statues that are absolutely meaningless and have no historical context. And it brings us back to what we've been discussing you know, since June, which is this sort of desire to sort of flatten the public space to year zero and just to get rid of any kind of historical perspective from it whatsoever by making these statues sort of inoffensive. And that seems to be sort of summed up in um, the uh, Art Review's Power 100 list this year that they put. Power 100. I think it's called the Power 100 list and yeah. they've at number one in that list, um, which is sort of ranks sort of the art moments of the year or the, the, those responsible for it. And number one in the list is Black Lives Matter for their, as they said, um, excel I think they said something like accelerating change within the art world because of their iconoclasm. So I think that what we're seeing is a kind of amongst the art elite as well as, you mm. know, the, the political elite, as we've seen in so many other areas of public life, there's this completely different view of the purpose of, of art in the public space that just jars completely with the views of normal 
patriotic Brits and even not not patriotic Brits yeah, yeah. and I think that you know we saw that with the 25 MPs who um, challenged the National Trust over what they've been doing with their own audit of, of various different people um, and and those MPs who are really standing up for normal people's voices and I think what what really have we've seen is that that this shift is probably far more fundamental and, and, and on a basic level than we previously thought. I think so. I think if you can say there's been one thing I would say that's been good about what's happened over the past few months is that the enemy, for want of a better word, is in plain view, would you say, that, you know, we now... Before, people could dismiss what we talk about as somehow being, oh, come on, you're being paranoid and everything, but it's been quite clear, hasn't it, that the actual names of the people, the curators, the directors mm -hmm. of these things, uh, they're very, very much in plain view. I think to an extent, definitely, and yeah, when it comes to the institutions, perhaps, but there's again still the councils, um, mm. so st stuff that doesn't really get the news as much as pulling down statues does, but there's still that threat to them. So I would say one of the biggest concerns in terms of the trend recently um, is probably around plaques and the addition of, of plaques to statues, which sounds like quite an inoffensive compromise to some people. But I think it's it's part of the double-edged sword, really, because I, th I think some of the councils are realising now that removing statues is actually very hard, yeah. um, partly because they have to go through planning, which we obviously try and get lots of objections to and make life hard for them to do that. So I think they're now thinking the, the easier route is to get these plaques, but who decides what goes on them? As we've said before, you know, it's never really a balanced, fair view of history. It's quite a distortion. I think the plaques would actually irritate me almost even more mm -hmm. because they're kind of going, they're telling you what, you know, you're, you're meant to think. I mean, would you, would you say that's true, Richard? I mean, are you a plaque man or not? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I like plaques, but it's not the point. You, you know, there's no point of removing a fantastic statue of Drake or Wellington um, and then replacing it with a tiny that's probably been contextualized in the corner you know so so it, it's all part of the same agenda which is to kind of delete our shared heritage for better or worse um i think what's been depressing for me over this year really has been the lack of involvement um or the lack of engagement by authorities of local people i mean th this has been kind of a media air war you know i've done a committee this morning uh, we, we, we've saved our statues and the, and the Welsh Assembly, but at no point have I seen local residents involved. Yeah. You know, uh, when, when when people are talking of removing an obelisk that's been uh, part of that community furniture for dozens of years, uh, where people have walked past it, traders have decided to set shops up near it. Um, there's been no deliberate engagement by authorities to ask their points of view. And, and we know why that is, because when Leeds Council were forced to do a review, they got the answer back. 96% of people backed the status quo and loved their statues and loved that statue of Queen Victoria in Hyde Park. So whenever these authorities actually go out there and ask ordinary voters, ordinary people, they will get a resounding vote of confidence in these beautiful statues and our exhilarating history. It's why they don't do it, it's why they speak to subject matter experts. No, I think it's absolutely that's a very important point because it's actually what you're talking about as well. Is that this huge gap, you know, because 
as you've shown as well, you know, when people are asked, it's a mm -hmm. minuscule amount of people who actually think we should even worry about doing anything with our statues and it's an even smaller amount who want them removed mm -hmm. from what I can gather, isn't that right? Yeah, and they don't seem to have, um, there have been some comparisons made between the way that they've been dealing with similar figures in uh, Canada, in Toronto, and they, their method of dealing with this and their community engagement and so on, you know, they have an actual methodology to it, whereas here there tends to be um, just this rush and that this is what happened with the Dundas statue that you know the black they were going about it with a relatively balanced committee and then Black Lives Matter happened um, and all of the sort of pro Dundas people were taken out and they did this plaque that was and I think this is what the issue is that you know I, I think that putting a plaque for contextualization is preferable to removing a statue but the issue is that they put this plaque on that uh, said that you know ho however many people um, that Dundas had been responsible yeah. for enslaving mm. um, and that the and this is something that's disputed by historians so the things that they're putting on the plaques are disputed history and there's no sense of nuance and it's sort of creating a fictitious um, within the local area sort of fictitious understanding almost a mythic understanding of that locations relationship with slavery or colonialism um, and so I, I think you know with, with the um, renaming of street names that that, that road in Southall that they wanted to um, rename after Guru Nanak the what was it I think it was something like 16 people out of 16 oh, households out of 340 yeah. odd yeah. had replied and only seven of them wanted to actually mm. rename the road but that was I think Rob you said that it was two percent um, of, of the people who should have been consulted were in favor of yeah. of this being renamed and yet they're going to go ahead with it anyway so it's it's in what on the one hand it is a case of just simply not having a good methodology for figuring out what people actually want because clearly there is a desire to not do what people want but to as seems to be the trend to educate the public into having the correct opinions and they're sort of afraid to find out what they actually do believe and won't go with what they what they want anyway mm. um, and there's that on the one side and then on the other side you know when they do air their views there's this tendency to go with the minority opinion anyway Yes, either educate people or educate themselves. You know, this is the other thing. You know, all of our institutions now coming out with these particular pledges. I saw one at well, Opera House, for example, recently. You know, it's all about we've got to educate ourselves. And this is just very, very depressing. Um, I want to ask you, you know, finally uh, to, you know, because it's not all bad news. Uh, I, I want to hear about some good things that have been happening. I mean, I, I would suggest, and it's a very bittersweet thing, this, that for me, uh, it was the news that the National Trust has seen a massive fall in their revenue, um, <laughs> simply because people have been cancelling. Um, and it, it seems to me that one of the few ways you can make a difference is actually by taking money away. Go so, away, go broke. You know, so that, <laughs> that would, to me, that was actually a good sign, because sure enough, they then did come out and sort of starts making noises about maybe we've done something wrong and all the rest of it. What, what would you say has been good news? What's good news on, for example, say like the Guy statue? Yeah, that seems to have been a positive development. This is definitely. Thomas Guy. The, the Guy's statues hospital. of um, Thomas yeah. Guy and Sir Robert Clayton as well, yeah. who between them built Guy's Hospital and then St Thomas's Hospital um, in London. Um, so they had submitted planning applications to remove these because they're listed. Um, we helped generate 
600 complaints each or objections to the planning for each of these. Um, and now the result is, or we hope we contributed to this result, is that they have withdrawn those applications to remove the statues. Um, but without wanting to be premature, I suppose it doesn't mean the statues are safe. They have said, the Hospital Trust has said that they will now do further research and consultation to come back with another proposal, which sounds like it may be a plaque again, yes, the way yes. they're going. Um, so yeah, we can't yet rest, um, rest easy on it, but it, it, it's positive. It sounds like they may hopefully not be taken down. Um, although in the meantime, they're still boxed up. They're still boxed they up, aren't they? For, for no reason. 70 days or, yes. so, or so now. Um, yeah. So now hopefully that they've withdrawn the application and said as well that the risk to the statues that yeah. apparently there was is now significantly reduced. They should be unboxed yeah. to, for people to enjoy. Richard, what about you? What what kind of have you seen anything on, you know, in the past few months that you think is actually been on our side of things a good thing? Um, I, I have to say, the central government has been vocally very, very supportive. So, so again, last week we saw a statement from the Equalities Minister who was criticising um, moves to remove our, our cultural heritage, and 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 she was sort of dismissing Black Lives Matter uh, as more as being sort of troublemakers as opposed to being positively sort of contributing to any debate. So, you know, that, that with um, the Cultural Secretary a few weeks ago talking about linking funding to uh, protecting and preserving our, our heritage. It's all good things. Uh, Pretty Patel and then the, kind of the mob behaviour over the summer. So, so did Boris Johnson. I, I, I guess what to nuance that, what we need now is uh, material support in terms of legislation and policing resources to ensure that our public space is preserved and protected. You know, we cannot keep seeing our very, very precious memorials, including the cenotaph, being graffitied, damaged, uh, humbled and humiliated, frankly, and, and the emotional damage that causes. We can't keep seeing that. We need to see solid, consistent legal action. Uh, and if it means sort of protecting me with physical security, you know, CCTV and security companies, then I, th I think we need to invest in that as opposed to having these ridiculous reviews of Sadiq Khan. Quite. How about you, Emma? What, what, do you, what um, have you found I sort of follows on from um, Richard's point, which is that not only is central government, you know, there are some good noises coming from, um, from, from you know, the front bench, but also from, surprisingly, uh, within some of the unexpected institutions. So um, I think for me, probably the, a highlight is Baroness Stoll, the chair of the Charity Commission, uh, mm. condemning the um, National Trust That's, for what yes. they've been doing. Mm. Because, and, and, and what she said actually is um, a much broader point and sends a really good, strong, healthy message, I think, to other charities, which is a bit, you know, if you go, go won't go broke, but saying, you know, don't involve yourself in the culture wars because, you know, charities, you know, that's not what they're for. Charities no. should be, in some instances, an escape from um, politicisation um, and that the organisations like the National Trust shouldn't be involving themselves in this way. And I think that, and that sends a very strong message. And I, I reckon that, uh, and, you know, that a number of organisations, museums and so on that do have charitable status mm will have to listen to the chair of the Charity Commission. So I think that's probably a, a bit of a sort of 
the light shining in the darkness. Well, I mean, we need them, don't we? Uh, we need encouragement. I mean, people need encouragement all over the country. But there are things moving, but it's going to be a long... It's going to be a long battle, isn't it, this? It's, I mean, Richard has said it before. Richard, thank you very much for joining us from the West Country. Uh, thank you very much, Robert. Thanks, Emma. Um, that's it for the update this week on Save Our Statues. Uh, do please subscribe, won't you? And uh, we shall see you again on Counterculture soon. Thank you.